I'm Warren Berkeley with the Laurel Heights Church of Christ in McAllen, Texas, and we continue now our studies in the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 10 this time. I will read through the chapter, stopping after each paragraph for only brief comments and then some takeaways and final observations once we complete our read through. The context historically is the enemies of Jesus are pressing their questions, their contrived questions, not for the sake of knowledge, but to test him and in their effort to discredit him, which they were never able to do. They are already determined in their unbelief to take Jesus to the cross. Mark chapter 10 verses 1 through 12. And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and the crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh, what therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. Let not man separate, in the English Standard Version. And in the house the disciples asked him again about this matter, and he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Now, this is not a comprehensive or full discussion of marriage. For that, you would need to bring into your reading Matthew 5.32, Matthew 19, 1 through 9, Romans 7, 1 Corinthians 7, Ephesians 5, and Hebrews 13. There is one main point in this narrative, and this is clearly signaled in verse 2. The Pharisees came up and in order to test him, asked this question. While the law of God going back to Genesis is clear, and the additional teaching recorded by Matthew in Matthew 5.32 and 19.9 is clear. These men are not focused on knowing the truth or teaching the truth or applying the truth about marriage and divorce. So Mark gives the crux of what Jesus said, and this is supplemented by Matthew's account. And then Mark records what Jesus said about the hardness of heart that was prevalent in Moses' day 
and was evident in these men. The emphasis here is on the rule. The exception is given in Matthew 5.32 and Matthew 19.9. I'm continuing to read through in verses 13 through 16. Mark 10, 13 through 16. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. In first century culture, children were generally not well regarded. And when adult discussions were underway, it wasn't uncommon for children to be excluded or to be told to stay away. Jesus wasn't bound by any cultural prejudices against children. He said, let the children come to me. More about that when I finish the read through. 17 through 31, we are continuing in Mark 10, 17 through 31. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you, Jesus said, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left houses 
our brothers, our sisters, our mother, our father, our children, our lands, for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. So there was this attitude among many Jews at that time of partial obedience being sufficient without full sacrificial devotion to the Lord. Let me say that again. There was this attitude among the Jews at this time of partial obedience being sufficient without full sacrificial devotion of the heart to the Lord. You get the impression some were wanting to know what are the minimum requirements. Jesus speaks to this man about real devotion and real sacrifice of heart. Jesus knew what was lacking in the man. He went away sorrowful, and this incident led to an interesting discussion with the disciples, and we will get a little further into that after the read-through. 32 to 34, Mark 10, 32 to 34. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. Well, at this point, the movement of the story of Jesus is captured by this phrase, going up to Jerusalem. Again, Jesus tells them that the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priest and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. Let's take up 35 down to 45. Mark 10, 35 to 45. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drank or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. Baptized. 
but to sit at my right hand or at my left hand is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who were considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. The sons of Zebedee raise a question that gives Jesus another opportunity to teach his disciples about being servants, not lords, not masters, servants. There, there was this lingering misunderstanding. There was this wrong-headed ambition Jesus spoke to them about more than once. And here the statement is made, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And then you may already be familiar with this person, blind Martimaeus, Mark 10, 46 to the end of the chapter. Mark 10, 46 to 52. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and to say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out, All the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. So here's a man who cried out for the Lord for mercy. Jesus said, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. Another miracle establishing who Jesus was. And that's Mark chapter 10. I'm back in just a second or two for some final observations. I'm ready to give you some observations based on what we've read in Mark chapter 10. Asking a question to stump Jesus. Mark says, testing him strikes us as immature. 
But more than that, it shows their hardness, their determination to not be objective, humble listeners. We, the followers of Christ, may encounter that. Unbelievers, atheists, or people attached to some humanly devised religion may raise a question with the intention to just catch us, ridicule us, expose us to what they consider to be a flaw. I want to bring up two passages. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 15 says, Always be ready to give an answer. Matthew 7 verse 6 says, Do not throw your pearls before pigs. So it's a challenge. We must apply prayer and good judgment to react to questions presented to us. We should never be afraid to speak the truth, but there may be times where it is obvious that learning the truth is not the point of the one presenting questions to us. And that, of course, is more of a challenge for us than for Jesus, because Jesus was able to read the hearts of his questioners. Number two, in regard to the question about divorce, as I said during the read-through, the fuller answer about the exception is given over in Matthew 5.32 and Matthew 19.9. Here, the emphasis is placed on the rule. And that leads me to say, the rule in marriage is marriage until death do you part. The exception of divorce for sexual immorality is covered in Matthew 5.32 and Matthew 19.9. That's certainly a part of God's law as to death ending a marriage, Romans chapter 7. But let us give clear emphasis to the rule when we talk about marriage, the sanctity of marriage. Of course, here, these men were not really sincere learners. I think they wanted Jesus to sign on to one of the many interpretations of the rabbis having to do with this subject. So Jesus' emphasis was to state the rule. Number three, I wanted to say something about Jesus' regard for children. Uh, here is a point of interest to me, and I'm sure to you. The Pharisees didn't ask Jesus about family life and parenting and the care of children. They wanted to test him on divorce to try to discredit him. The more volatile issues were of greater interest to these hypocrites. And their question wasn't about what makes a marriage good. What about a family devoted to God? What about children who are raised in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? Uh, surrounded by the love of their parents and grandparents. No, scribes and Pharisees who were after Jesus had no interest in these topics. The Pharisees had 12 basketfuls of test questions, technical questions, debate quizzes. Jesus, on this occasion, states the rule about marriage. And then what does he do next? He exhibits his love and deep regard for children. And that should mean a lot for us today. Let the children come to me. It should grieve us. When we hear of cases where husband and wife 
disregard God's law, split up, and their last thought is about the children. So in my view, the first part of Mark chapter 10, that opening paragraph has a connection to the next paragraph about children. Then the next paragraph about what this man was not willing to give up and materialism. So I'm at number four in my observations, the rich young ruler. Uh, the word in the ESV in verse 22 is he was disheartened when Jesus called upon him to part with what he had. You know, the man's question was really answered before Jesus was born. What do I do? It's in the law of Moses. It was there. God told the people through Moses and the prophets what they needed to do. Well, the man said, yes, I've done all that. I think Jesus knew this man inside and out. Jesus wasn't just looking at a body and hearing speech. He knew what was lacking in this man, and he challenged him on that level in a very specific way. Jesus knew he had great possessions, and he held his possessions so tightly he would not give them up in obedience to Christ. Jesus customized this instruction for this man knowing what he was lacking. He was sad, and he went away sorrowful. Lesson for us, sometimes what we hold to the tightest is the very thing we need to give up. Number five, Jesus taught his disciples in verses 23 to 31. I'll have more to say about that. The Bible says there are three conditions that hold great temptation and require great personal discipline. Number one is power. If your fellows have elevated you to a high position, if you are praised and celebrated and separated to some high place apart from the people, power can corrupt you. It requires extraordinary inner discipline and humility to occupy some high office, persecution. The book of Hebrews shows when Christians are under attack and ridiculed and threatened, much faith is required to be courageous and victorious. Three, possessions, riches. Jesus never says, don't have any possessions or make sure you only have a minimum. But Jesus warns us of the danger. He says it plainly. He uses this phrase, how hard it is. Well, for Jesus' disciples, this was like a bombshell. They were astonished at his words. So Jesus explained further how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. The more I have, the more I need to trust in God, not what I have. That's expanded on by Paul in 1 Timothy 6, 17 to 19. The text written by Paul so well captures what Mark 10 is about. It's not just about having riches or having possessions. It's about trusting riches and trusting possessions, finding 
finding your security, your lifeblood, your existence and motivation in things, that'll work to your spiritual destruction. Number six, we must be careful how we treat passages like this, being certain we do not dismiss it quickly or define the terms so that we are not included. That was for my throat. I tell you, I used to be guilty of this that I'm talking about now, perhaps most of us. Here's what I'm talking about. You come to this word rich and you define it as everybody who has more than what you have. Or in your Bible reading and study, you find the word covet. And you immediately say to yourself, that couldn't be me because I don't have anything to covet. You see what we're doing? We are defining terms to direct the passages to others, but not to us. To many people in this community, people I'm talking to now, in other cultures and natures, uh, nations, every one of us are rich. Better for us to consider that even if we think our possessions are meager, we must guard against trusting in what we have, rather than trusting the one who made us and gave us what we have. I'll say that again. We must guard against trusting in what we have, rather than trusting the one who made us and gave us what we have. No one is exempt from the danger of materialism. The central issue has to do with one's loyalty. And we know our loyalty must be to God through Jesus Christ and to him all the glory. Uh, number seven in my observations James and John, verses 35 to 45. One main idea, greatness before God is found in being a servant, not being served. Greatness before God is found in being a servant, not being served. Let's carefully avoid any personal ambition where we become occupied with being first, number one, being better than someone or over someone. That's a damaging pattern of thought. It leads us down a road that is away from God. Personal ambition, carnal competition have no place in the kingdom. I've said many times, our spiritual welfare and the glory of God is served by serving, giving, sacrificing, suffering if necessary. Whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. Greatness comes in serving, not being served. That's Mark chapter 10. I'm Warren Berkeley with the Laurel Heights Church of Christ. Thank you for viewing this video.